Aloha, everyone. On behalf of Domino's Hawaii, we wanted to take a moment to thank our team members for working through these trying times. And we wanted to thank our community for not just supporting us, but most importantly, supporting each other amid this climate of change and continued uncertainty. It is difficult to fathom some of the recent tragedies that have occurred, but what we can do collectively is aspire to be better for one another. We don't want to disrupt this message by taking time to promote some meaningless special. All that can be found on our website or app. Instead, once again, mahalo for your strength and your character. And we look forward to our very special community here in Hawaii getting back to work and making the world a better place. And with that, let's talk sports. Hey, what's up, Jordan? What's happening, man? Let's uh, get into the pregame here right off the bat. The warm-up, as we like to do, sort of a cold open issue debate here to start the episode. Uh, this week marked the 40th anniversary of the movie Caddyshack. 40 years old, man, uh, just to make me feel a lot older. But uh, while I've always assumed that it is a universally beloved, quote-unquote, sports movie, uh, I have seen and heard from some detractors here this week, as a lot has been made about the 40 years of Caddyshack. Uh, and they've suggested that the film is overrated. So let's hear it. You're a little bit of a younger generation guy than I am. Caddyshack, a classic or not a classic? Yeah, Caddyshack predates me, but it's a classic. Who's detracting? <laughs> Who are these people that just have nothing better to do in life than to rain on our parades? You know, we've got enough problems in the world. Caddyshack isn't one of them. It's one of the, I mean, it's, it's Dangerfield. It's Chevy Chase. It's Bill Murray. Like the, the lines that come out of that thing, it is very 19, early, mid-1980s, right? I, I know it's like the very beginning of the decade. I mean, heck, you've got a Kenny Loggins-led soundtrack, which is like perfect for any movie made around that time. Uh, but I mean, the lines, the line, anybody who's gone golfing, and it starts to rain, you're going to talk about the heavy stuff not coming down for a while. You're going to talk about it. You're going to talk about how the llama's a big hitter, the time that Carl Spackler went over and, and caddied for the llama, Kylie for the Dalai Lama, but he's got, he's got total consciousness coming on his deathbed, so he's got that going for him. Uh, I like to think I got that going for me, too, but the, the movie's so quotable. Who's, who doesn't like this? Just people trying to be contrarian in nature, right? I mean, I agree with you. I think Caddyshack is, is just, it is objectively funny and you're right you're talking about the star power of the three individuals that you named at the height of their powers right in their primes uh when you hear some of the stories told about the production of Caddyshack and you know that memorable scene where Bill Murray is there with the rake and he's just swinging at the flowers and he's describing how you know he's 800 or whatever yards away and he's got an eight iron or something like that uh and in the script it basically just said Bill Murray at flowers that was all ad lib. That was all improv. And half of his lines were that. And so it's just, it reveals the genius of Bill Murray. It's a trailblazing movie, man. A lot of comedy sports movies have just attempted to live up to the standard set by Caddyshack. So all the people that are hating on it, they're just trying to be contrarian, trying to be cool here in the social media age. But uh, we all know Caddyshack is an undeniable, objective, classic. 
We're hoping this episode of the podcast is a classic. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of Let's Talk Sports with Kanoa Leahy and Jordan Helley. And we have a chance of making this one a classic because we got a pretty cool guest. We have Victor Santa Cruz. He is the associate head coach and defensive coordinator for the UH football team. Spent the last 14 years as head coach at Azusa Pacific. He's the all-time winningest head coach there. They won four great Northwest Athletic Conference titles. He's also an alum in Manoa, played linebacker at UH from 91 to 95, member of the 92 team that won the program's first WAC title and a holiday bowl and was, uh, as a squad, inducted into the University of Hawaii's Circle of Honor. So uh, looking forward to playing that interview. Now, we should point out, we recorded that interview earlier in the day, and so when we talked to Coach Santa Cruz, Uh, The plan, the schedule, was to start training camp this Friday. However, Athletics Director David Matlin has since said that they are going to postpone the start of training camp to sometime, quote-unquote, early next week. So a little bit of an adjustment there. Not exactly sure how that's going to impact everything, but more or less the concepts and the football talk is all relevant. Yeah, without a doubt. And and he was a guy, I think, no matter when they were going to give the go-ahead, he was going to be ready. Uh, and he was pretty excited about his guys and kind of interesting talking to him about uh, how well I think they uh, found things going, even though all of the unknowns, you're, you're installing things on Zoom. So really kind of interesting to hear from him there. He's a guy who's clearly got a strong affinity for the islands that I think comes through uh, in our conversation. And uh, plus, he's on arguably the, the greatest University of Hawaii team ever as a player. So he's got he's got some creds. That's right. We'll uh, be playing his thoughts on all of that stuff in just a little bit, but let's uh, get to our game time. But let's get to our game time, and the big story is no game time, at least for the fall sports in the Big West Conference, announcing that it is suspending all fall sports until 2021, impacting such sports as Wahine volleyball, Wahine soccer, cross country. It does not impact, at the moment, winter sports like basketball, still scheduled to begin in November, but it does continue the trend of non-football conferences at all levels making such a decision. So your reaction to the Big West decision to do this, Jordan? Not surprised. You know, I I think both of us were of the belief that this was probably more likely than not just a couple of days ago. I mean, it was the Pac West. Now it's the big West. Uh, I think Hawaii fans hoping it's not the mountain West uh, to follow the, be the the next domino to fall there. Um, But especially for the university of Hawaii and like a lot of other schools in this conference, women's volleyball in particular uh, is very good. It is very high profile as well. Uh, for a lot of programs in this conference, women's soccer is a big deal as well. Uh, highly successful program. So you talk about some very successful um, years for this conference have come from those two sports uh, and come from those two sports on the women's side, especially for a non-football conference, right? Those sports are going to take um, the top billing and, and they've excelled at them. And so you know, when you look at it from the University of Hawaii standpoint, um, it's tough, right? I mean, they, they've already sort of felt some of the effects. Hannah Helvig, uh, their outstanding 2B sophomore from, from Sweden, had opted not to return 
uh, for the fall semester. Now that's kind of a moot point. We'll, we'll see what the future holds in terms of, you know, this being a postponement in its current terminology. It's a tough blow and, and it's a Rainbow Wahine volleyball team, man, that made it to the, you know, to the regional last year. They made it to the Sweet 16. They, they had another great recruiting class coming in. Robin Amo seems to really have found her stride uh, as head coach of this program and, and getting it back to that level. Uh, so, so it hurts uh, even a little bit more. And then you get down to the dollars and cents, right, and the lost revenue of not having a Rainbow Wahine volleyball season and the amount of ticket revenue that draws in, the amount of television revenue that draws in. Um, it's a big blow. And, and as of now, it's, it's unknown when they can make it back up, right? So, so any way you look at it, it's, uh, it's a tough pill to swallow, even though it was one that I think a lot of people anticipated. The NCAA, according to Athletics Director David Matlin, just got off of a conference call that included uh, him, the Athletics Director at UH, uh, Robin Amo, as well as several other coaches uh, from the University of Hawaii. Uh, and he is saying that next week the NCAA is expected to make an announcement regarding the NCAA championships for fall sports because that all of a sudden gets really messy because you have this announcement by the Big West Conference, but then that comes on the same day that the ACC is saying their football schedules will be conference only plus one in-state non-conference game, and they will have the other fall sports basically play like the minimum amount of games that are allowed by the NCAA. So in the case of women's volleyball, ACC schools and programs will be playing about 10 volleyball games here this fall. At least that's the plan. And so you're going to have this very disjointed potential women's volleyball season uh, and so what does that do to the NCAA championship what does that do in regard to the national landscape within those fall sports and so it becomes very complicated but I think yeah you're right from the University of Hawaii's vantage point uh, even if it ends up being a big west only or even a big west pod only type of primary schedule uh, you just got to have it because that's revenue for the University of Hawaii. The fans will still come out to support that team, even if some of the marquee names that would have been there in what I am told is or was intending to be a very top-notch non-conference schedule for the Rainbow Wahine, even if those games are no longer going to be on the docket. Yeah, it's something, right? Something's better than nothing at this point. I think even for, you know, like a, the, the football team when you look at it, right? playing essentially what is a all-conference schedule plus maybe a couple of non-conference games, which they have worked into the schedule. Even if you lose out on the Power 5 teams that they were supposed to play, the three Pac-12 teams, better than nothing, right? And, and so for, for Rainbow Wahine Volleyball, you know, if they figure it out for some of the other sports as well, like soccer, uh, you know, like golf, um, but it, especially in a revenue-producing sport like, like volleyball for the University of Hawaii, something. Something is – is better than nothing at all, no matter where it comes in the calendar. You, you talk about Rainbow Hine Volleyball, you run into some of the, the complications of the fact that some of them play on the beach in the spring. You know, what kind of overlap that obviously becomes a much tighter window between whenever they play indoor volleyball and, when, and maybe when beach volleyball happens in the spring. Who knows? Those are, those are problems they'll figure out. But they, it, it brings about a lot of logistical issues but but yeah when, when you're talking about figuring out some way to salvage not just the season the, all the hard work that the these players and coaches have put in but also you know the financial financial viability is is a very big deal yeah you mentioned logistics and the difficulties that are potentially introduced from this decision and you're right I mean you could have a scenario in the spring uh, where you have overlap of men's and women's basketball, men's and women's volleyball. And so when you're jockeying for gym time and arena time, uh, that could also uh, become very complicated. But I think uh, what 
forced the hand of the Big West Conference is merely, hey, look, there is still the quarantine for uh, travel from outside of the state of Hawaii uh, that is in place currently here in the 50th state. And that is possibly going to be extended much further. Uh, you look at the situation in California of which all the schools with the exception of Hawaii uh, are located. And so, you know, the, the COVID pandemic and virus running rampant over there. And so it's just, I think it's a situation where the Big West had to make this call. And, and at least hearing the response of Robin Almo on that conference call, um, it was not one where she disagreed with the decision. It was not one where she was even frustrated necessarily by the decision. I think she was relieved that there at least was a decision. And I think she understands, hey, look, this is being decided with regard to the best interests in terms of the health of our players. And I think that that at the very end of this, at the very root of all of this, that is what uh, it is all about. And so we'll see uh, if football is ultimately impacted right now. It seems as though everyone is still trying to push ahead with having some semblance of the football season, but that, that complication due to travel, that complication for mid-major programs to afford the constant testing that is going to be required to be able to move forward with this, uh, that's going to be there. That's going to be there. It's going to be awfully difficult, and we just hold out hope that there will be some sports here uh, in the fall. All right, so we move on. Major League Baseball uh, continues to roll. They've run into a few uh, bumps in the road here with regard uh, to playing through the protocols and the pandemic. Uh, but we had sort of a good old-fashioned baseball, I guess it's more the, the COVID-era type of baseball battle. Dodgers and Astros, of course, uh, the Astros who were caught cheating, banging on trash cans. The Dodgers feel like it cost them a World Series. Uh, and so they, of course, hook up in a series in Houston. And there was a banging of a different sort, if you will. In the sixth inning of LA's 5-2 series opening win, pitcher Joe Kelly had a 3-0 pitch that sailed behind the head of Alex Bregman. Kelly let out a yawn in response. Uh, then after covering first base on the next out, a yell from the Houston dugout could be heard over the TV broadcast telling Kelly to get back on the mound, mother bleeper. Moments later, Kelly, not exactly known for his razor-sharp control to begin with, threw a curveball up and in on Carlos Correa, uh, but it was after Kelly struck out Correa on a down-and-away curveball that things really escalated with Kelly yelling, nice swing, B-word, uh, while adding a meme-worthy pouty face. Uh, at that point, the benches would clear in what appears to be the new COVID-friendly version of a benches-clearing brawl with the teams keeping some distance, several players going face-to-face -face from feet apart, even some of them wearing masks. What do you think of the shenanigans, and what do you think of Joe Kelly, who ultimately got an eight-game suspension because of that, which is ironically much longer than what any of the Houston Astros players got for the whole cheating thing in the first place? Yeah, hey, if it wasn't for the COVID situation, I mean, I think that's, that's an all-out brawl, right? I mean, they, they would have been fighting. There would have been punches thrown and, and a melee had this not been the time of COVID because they, they were clearly unhappy with each other. Uh, and maybe, maybe knowing that, maybe knowing that really at the end of the day, we're not really going to fight, one, because of the health concerns, and two, if I get suspended for 10 games, that's like a sixth of the season. Uh, and you can't really cost yourself that in a 60-game season. And so maybe because of that, guys are going to be a little more chirpy. Guys are going to be a little more big-chested because you don't really have to back up your words as much. Um, these teams have a history, right? The, the Dodgers were the team against the Astros a couple of World Series ago um, that felt like they got cheated. And some of those guys were pretty verbal about it. 
especially in spring training, Cody Bellinger being one of those guys. Joe Kelly wasn't on that team, uh, but he's apparently taking the mantle of uh, enforcer here. Um, and if you want to enforce things, I don't know if Joe, maybe Joe Kelly's your guy because he is so erratic. Wasn't he the guy that had the video of him throwing in the offseason and he missed the net and broke a window at his own house? That is um, so that's, there's that guy, <laughs> right? And um, it's never good. Like, I, I, I think the Astros got off, at least the players, uh, ridiculously easy when it came to this whole saga. Um, we knew guys were going to take out some, some retribution in large part because Major League Baseball did it when it came to the players themselves. Now, throwing 90-something miles an hour, a guy who's that wild, at a guy's head, up and over, I can't really get on board with that. Um, But being in a situation where it is undeniable and it is glaringly obvious to a lot of guys, as you pointed out, his eight-game suspension, maybe it'll get reduced down to a little bit more upon upon, uh, appeal. but. His eight-game suspension is eight games more than anybody on the Houston Astros got for cheating. And so it, it just – none of it really adds up. None of it really is, I think, completely defensible by anybody here. Um, I don't know how many other teams really that the Astros are going to play because they're playing mainly against their division opponents who there's just so much history there. Uh, and then some of the NL West teams, which outside of the Dodgers, I don't know who has a huge – personal gripe to this I don't I don't think it'll continue it seems like today's been kind of mellow from uh some of the the shenanigans as you put it but yeah at the end of the day it's kind of hard to look at that right and be like oh Joe Kelly's got eight games that's eight games more than any of the Astros got for cheating yeah I mean Major League Baseball invited this when they gave immunity to the Astros players trying to get to the bottom of the whole controversy uh I think Major League Baseball dodged what would be a much longer series of these types of incidents uh by virtue of the fact that uh, the the virus hit and we have this abridged version of the Major League Baseball regular season and so you're right I think a lot of pitchers a lot of organizations they will shy away from Uh, doing these kinds of things just because of the risk of losing so much time in what is such a short season. Uh, But at the same token, you have the universal DH in effect. So Joe Kelly's not worried uh, despite playing in a national league ballpark. Uh, He's not worried about uh, having to step into the batter's box. He can throw it whoever he wants to. And and I've always looked at that, uh, especially in recent years as as something that's a bit archaic and maybe something that we should probably get past uh, in the modern era of baseball. But I got to be honest, I, don't have a lot of love lost for Carlos Correa, who was one of the more vocal leaders of the defense of the actions of the Houston Astros and the dismissal of any suspicion that the Astros titles and their success should come with an asterisk. Like, you know, he he was one of those guys that was sort of chirping the most. And so, you know, I don't feel necessarily empathetic or sympathetic uh, for him being on the wrong end of some Joe Kelly trash talk and facial expressions. Uh, in a way, I, I, I kind of dug Joe Kelly's chutzpah in all of this. And, and you know, he's, he's a guy who described himself as when he goes out on the mound as, as sort of taking on the persona of a serial killer. Uh, and I think some of that came out. And at the end of the day, um, you know, everyone's scared of getting the, the coronavirus. So no one's really going to touch each other. They're going to, you know, argue through masks and all of that stuff. So uh, it really is kind of a big hullabaloo and, and uh, much ado about very little. Uh, but uh, in this particular instance, I might be a team Kelly here on this one just because, uh, yeah, I wasn't with what the Astros did in the banging of the trash cans. Apparently you can get t-shirts with, uh, the pouty face 
uh, online. They've, they've already started selling. That's, that's those, already so. started. Wow. God, you got to love the internet, right? Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, moving over to another mainstream sport. The NBA season opens Thursday. We are recording this on Wednesday, but this episode being posted here on the day of the season opener for the NBA. We talked with Bobby Webster, general manager of the Toronto Raptors in our last episode. Check that out if you haven't listened to it yet. Uh, so Jordan, what are your top storylines for the NBA season and who you got to win it all? Well, I mean, I think the, the obvious, obviously, right, are the two L.A. teams. Uh, you, you throw Milwaukee in there. I think one of the big storylines kind of got water thrown on it when, when the league came out and said that these games aren't going to count towards the MVP race, uh, which I think had heated up quite a bit right up into, you know, that, that stretch that the Lakers and LeBron went on um, right at the end of the – right before the shutdown, basically, where they dispatched the Bucks and the Clippers in like a three-day span or what have you. Uh, and it really seemed like LeBron was mounting a legitimate case. Uh, but apparently these games aren't going to count. Uh, so that takes a little bit of the luster off there. Uh, but for me, it's kind of the top of the East and the bottom of the West, if you will. Um, the bottom teams in the East, I could care any less about. Uh, but when you're looking at it, right, I mean, we could be looking at some pretty high-profile first-round matchups, what the shuffling is going to be somewhere between the, the Raptors and the Celtics and the Heat and the, the Sixers and – and really my main one there is uh, Philadelphia, right? Apparently Ben Simmons is going to play power forward. Um, they're going to take him off the ball a little bit, or is he going to play like point power forward? Uh, maybe get him down on the block a little bit more, uh, even though he's shooting his three with much more confidence in these scrimmage games. So I don't know what to make of all of that. I, you know, maybe they're between two minds when it comes to that. Uh, but really for me, what I'm most interested in, because well, the Lakers, the Clippers, they'll be there, right, towards the, as we get into the playoffs and whatnot. But that race for that eighth seed in the, in the West, I am all in. I am really hoping we get the play-in or whatever they're calling it, right? If As long as the ninth seed is within four games of the eighth seed, they play a little two-game series. Nine's got to beat the eighth seed twice. The eighth's just got to win once. Um, but, I mean, we're, we're, we, could we get like a John Morant, Zion Williamson play-in situation where we get the Grizzlies and the Pelicans? You know, Dame Lillard and the Blazers are always one of my favorite teams to watch. You throw the, the, the Kings in there, maybe, right? Your Spurs are – are in the mix. Pop's going to have something up his sleeves, but I, I am really hoping for uh, John Morant and Zion Williamson in a playing situation. But even if we don't get there, these eight games that they do have are basically playoff games at this point, right? So seeing those guys, the young guys, that's kind of what I'm most interested in. That's my favorite storyline that I'm going to be watching. It makes no sense that these games aren't going to count for the MVP race. Like, I mean, these games are going to count for playoff jockey exactly. position like that, that 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 means way more than an individual award at the end of the season it just doesn't really uh, that doesn't really compute too much you know I think one of the the storylines for me is the fact that it's going to be wide open right I mean you look at a team like Portland or you look at a team like Denver and the addition of Bull Bowl who has looked phenomenal here in these scrimmages right and like I think a, a guy who who will force defenses to have to pay him attention all the way out to the three-point line, uh, and then you're allowing the other guys to do their thing. And it just – I mean, he's a possible game-changer for that team just in the dynamic of it if he can stay healthy. He will definitely block shots. Um, you know, he can handle the ball. He can run the floor. Like, Bull Bull at 7-2 is already a storyline that I'm looking forward to seeing play out here uh, when the real season starts. But I think also just the fact that, you know, there are no real home court advantages now, 
You can toss all that stuff out the window. And yeah, you know, you'll have some uh, digital or virtual fan presence and you'll have music that will represent the home team and you'll have the home team name on the court, blah, blah, blah. But it's not a real home court advantage. And so you throw that aspect out the window and the travel that is usually uh, associated with uh, a visiting team having to succumb to the home court advantage of their opposition. Like that's all gone. And so I'm looking forward to see how that impacts the results, especially as you get into late series games in the playoffs. It's just going to be totally different, a completely different vibe. And in some ways, I think it makes it more pure. I think it almost makes it more difficult. So we're talking about asterisks for champions under these circumstances. Yeah, probably you should at least, you know, recognize the fact that it came amid uh, these circumstances and in an NBA quote unquote bubble. Uh, But you could almost put an asterisk because you could suggest and argue legitimately that this will be the most well-earned title for any team because they will have had to win it in maybe the most controlled and pure environment for basketball that we have seen in the NBA. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. Um, you take out every every variable, right, or, or almost every variable that comes with home court advantage and, and the, the series and, and having to travel interstate and sometimes coast to coast. Um, and so I think that would favor a team that maybe is a little more veteran, a team that's a little bit older, a team that is used to you know, maybe some things getting thrown at them, uh, that's got some maturity, and also physically – doesn't have to now go through the rigors of flying from city to city throughout the playoffs. Uh, and that team's the Lakers. And, and so that's why I'm, I'm, picking, I'm picking LeBron here. I, I, I know he's chasing that next title. And, and I do think the absence of Avery Bradley is one of concern for sure. Um, so I'm going to say, hey, they brought in Swish, man. They brought in J.R. Smith. And if that doesn't work out, they got Dion Waiters. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, ah, I don't know if those guys are quite Avery Bradley, particularly on the defensive end, uh, where the Lakers have been very good and their size has been something um, that has obviously paid dividends. And, and this is assuming that Anthony Davis's eye is nothing long-term, even if he does miss tomorrow's or today's game, I guess you say, if we're airing this on Thursday's game. But I, I just think what they have, the way they have played – um, there are so many wild cards, right? I wouldn't even talk about the Rockets if, if Westbrook and Harden are, are rested and those guys get hot, right, in, in that kind of environment. Who knows? But I, I still think what the Lakers have, what LeBron has been doing, and now he's got all this rest, plus he doesn't have to put his body through all the travel and things like that. I, I, I'll, I'll go, I'll put my, uh, I'll, I'll hitch my wagon to the Lakers here. Yeah, I'm going to pick one of the L.A. teams. Uh, You know, it's going to be the Lakers or the Clippers, in my opinion. Uh, I think I'm rooting for the Lakers just because I'm a LeBron fan. Uh, But I think the Clippers are built, you know, if everyone's there and they haven't, you know, escaped from the bubble to go eat chicken wings somewhere. And that'll be the running joke for the entire season. But, uh, you know, if everyone's there and present, um, you know, Kawhi and Paul George, those are guys, I agree with Charles Barkley, they can both guard LeBron, at least make life a little more difficult for him. Uh, and so for the Lakers, it'll come down to Anthony Davis. That's what Charles Barkley said. I agree with that sentiment entirely. Anthony Davis is the one who's going to make or break things for the Lakers. Uh, I think all things even, I hate to admit it, but I think I got to lean with the Clippers having the advantage. And with that, we get to our Domino's Hawaii main topping for this episode of the podcast. And it is, of course, our interview with Victor Santa Cruz, associate head coach and defensive coordinator for the University of Hawaii football team. Again, we talked to him about what was supposed to be the scheduled start of training camp 
Friday, but David Matlin has since pushed back the start time to sometime, quote, early next week. But everything pretty much pertains, I think, uh, as far as the football chatter goes. So uh, we're going to go ahead and play that interview with Coach Victor Santa Cruz. All right, here with Victor Santa Cruz. And I have to say, even when I was younger, watching you as a player back in the early 90s for the University of Hawaii, I used to love your name. I used to always think that that was the name of like a character in a soap opera or a dramatic series or something like that. I just, I dig that name. Have, have you gotten that comment before? Uh, I've gotten a lot of comments about it. <laughs> you know, growing up, you know, I, I was in high school, but my freshman year of high school football in uh, El Toro High School, uh, this one teammate of mine, he always called me Santa all the time. Santa, Santa. I'm like, okay, great. But finally, around Christmas time, he, uh, he realized, oh, that's not your first name. I thought your first name was Santa and your last name was Cruz. So, <laughs> you know, they're like, hey, Odie, in the skateboard company? Yeah, the skateboard company, but I don't have any stock in that. <laughs> so uh, Every day, it's almost like a finger cross situation, hoping that uh, something does not disrupt further what is mm -hmm. the plan on opening training camp later this week. Uh, so let's kind of just start there. Uh, I do want to turn back the clock a little bit to your playing days and, and, and some of your memories there, but let's start with sort of the pertinent uh, information and situation uh, here this week, and, and that is the start to training camp. What are you anticipating? What are you looking forward to? What is the vibe within the football offices and throughout the team here this week? Fired up. That's the vibe. Yeah, I mean, you, this whole pandemic, quarantine, it's been weird to say the least, you know, and everybody has their truth of reality where they're at it. I, you know, I, so I'm very sensitive to understand that the, the spectrum of experiences are, are broad. Um, I can say this is that you appreciate the value of human interaction. You appreciate the value of sport. You appreciate just the moment by moment being able to work and compete in, 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 the, in the field of college athletics, um, and particularly for me, obviously, college football. So I'm not taking anything for granted. And I, I think I've kind of had the mindset now is that, hey, we're going to be our very best every moment. And just it's, so there's just there's an intensity about how you're approaching everything. And so when I say fire it up, is there is that, Hey, man, it, it's everything about that. I understand what's on the horizon. We're going to get a chance to open up uh, a college football camp. How many schools out there will not play football? We're in a privileged few right now. And so I talked to the players. I talk, you know, and I know us as coaches is that, you know, there's that whole the grinds type of thing. Man, I'm just enjoying moment by moment, appreciating it because. This is what I love to do. I love making an impact in young people's lives, particularly that in the college age athlete. I think it's one of the greatest sports there is in college, it would be in college football, but I love college athletics all together. And so when you have that uh, taken away as, a, as essentially what, no spring ball, no time with your players, completely disrupted, I appreciate this moment. This is, this is priceless, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm excited for the for the camp, and, and I'm just I'm just trying to drink it in moment by moment. Just go ahead and enjoy the time with the players. Yeah, I imagine the players are uh, just as excited for sure to get out there. Uh, there's been a lot of talk. There's been a lot written about the protocol that needs to be followed here. A lot of talk about testing. 
Um, but it, 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 at least I think to a lot of people on the outside looking in, it, it feels a little jumbled, a little messy. Can you give us an idea or a sense of, of what it's like, what that protocol, what those guidelines and the testing, like, what that entails here as, as you try to maintain uh, a sense of, you know, football normalcy as far as getting to work? Yeah, and, and, you know, a lot of credit goes to Coach Graham. I'm, I'm telling you one thing, I'm, he's a very smart man, and he's, he's an agile leader, He's he, and he loves the players. And I think we're, the one thing we talk about is just, hey, right now, our player safety is paramount. And so, so we're trying to discover all the best practices, uh, calling all, you know, obviously contacts across the nation that they get, keep getting us the latest in intel of uh, medical advice so that we can make sure we maintain a safe uh, and effective and, and high-performing environment. So, you know, we're wearing masks all the time. I mean, never thought about having to coach the mask on all the time. Um, so your, your players are, are, are always practicing with a mask. Um, now, obviously, you can take the break of catching, you know, take it down and catch a breath or, you know, obviously drink water. You can do that. But there's just social distancing things. There are just things that we're having to – and when we wake up and, and – um, and we know, okay, first and foremost, I, I'm checking in with my players. Hey, does everybody feel good? Because if you remotely don't feel good at all, we need to stay at home. Stay at home. We're going to, so we're going to play it. We're going to err on safety first on, on, on extra to say, hey, just check everything out first. Um, but it's, you know, it, it's a full grind every day to say that social distancing, all the protocols, and we're going to keep getting better and better and better in those protocols. Because uh, I think more information is coming out, and I know uh, Coach Graham and the staff, and Dave, uh, Dave Madlin, we're, we're just trying to figure out what is the best way to go about it. Because it is game, and we want to play the game. Um, we care about the players. Yeah, Coach, you gave us a little bit of an insight of what, what that interaction has kind of been like uh, with you and the players. How have things gradually been allowed, if you will, for, for you to get a bit of that? person-to-person -person contact, and, and how do you anticipate maybe that expanding once you get into full practices uh, here, just, just being around the guys? Well, and, and, and I, don't, I honestly don't know how it's going to expand. I can just tell you right now, if we're, you know, we, 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 you know we we're learning is that, hey, if you meet outdoors, it's better to meet outdoors. So we, we, have, we have yet to be in a, in a classroom setting. So we're meeting outdoors uh, because, you know, that's obviously uh, limits infection rates is what we're hearing. And, um, but you're, you know, at the end of the day, what you're focusing on is enjoying is that you're still coaching and you're interacting with that player. And I mean, there's just, a, that, that's, I think what it's done, it, you know, in all the, in all the sport, it just, you strip it down to the really, the real nut of like, wow, this is what the essence, the purity of the game is, what the purity of coaching is. Um, and if you don't have a heart to really coach, if you're not in it for the players, I think you're probably completely frustrated right now and you're trying to get out of here uh, as a, out of college football, I mean. Um, so this is where, and this is where I can just uh, brag about the staff right now, is um, Coach Graham's put together a bunch of, uh, of professionals who genuinely love players and are working out. Uh, how do we, we love the, the, the art of coaching. And so, you know, we're going to adapt and overcome. I mean, but there isn't a bunch of complaining list. There isn't, you know, we'll laugh about a few things. Hey, remember the glory days when you could actually have a TV in a classroom and meet? And what, you know, those are things that, but we're, but we don't, we, we're here to coach. We're here to, to make people better. And I always am encouraged by a, an analogy, a, a, 
definition of coaching that um, a friend of mine taught me is that, hey, you are somebody, you're a coach, meaning that old, the coach, a cart, getting somebody from one place to their destination. And so we're doing what we're trying to take these young warriors and we're trying to help them become champions for life. And that's what I get up every day for. And so if you're telling me is I got a chance to talk to a young man and be around him and encourage him and challenge him in some areas he needs to grow up in academically, uh, socially, athletically, then that's what we're here for. And, and, and that's why I go to bed at night going, that's the mission, you know, and we're going to keep working on that. The rest of the stuff, it, it's all nice. And, and believe me, I love the game of football. Um, and when the lights go on on Saturdays, man, that is a sweet spot. Um, but, I, but I tell you, I, I, the purpose of why I get up is to build champions while pursuing championships. Yeah, and I, I guess if you, you've got to uh, hold outdoor meetings, Hawaii is probably the, the best place to, uh, to go ahead and execute that, huh? Absolutely. <laughs> I wanted to kind of ask you, you know, it's a, it's a new staff, um, some guys that have worked together in terms of uh, coaching backgrounds. Um, but as you try to, you know, and implement a new defense on your side of the football, new offense on the other side of the football, something we asked Coach Graham, I think when we talked to him way back in April, May, which seems like an eternity ago now, uh, doing that via online meetings. And now you get, you're doing it via outdoor meetings. And, and now you actually get to get on the field. How has that process gone uh, especially taking into account the fact that, you know, every, it's brand new for everybody there. Yeah, Jordan, it's a great question. Um, and it is one that, you know, if you would have asked that back in April, I would have been like, well, I don't know what to do. How do we do it? That's a challenge. Um, but, you know, innovation often comes out of times of great tribulation. And that's, that's part of where we're understanding is that, you know, a lot of these players, they, they, they really – take in information well from their phones, from technology like you and I are doing right now. Um, so it's probably they, this generation that it's happening to is probably the best set up generation to take in the information and really learn. So um, gosh, could you imagine if this happened back in the nineties when I was playing? <laughs> I was like, remember we had calling cards, we had a pay phone, so we couldn't have done Zoom stuff. We saw that on Star Trek, that's it. So, um, you know, so, the timing of it, you know, we, it was hard to get used to, uh, hard to engage. But, but now that we're seeing these players on the field, I mean, they're repping this stuff out. They really soaked in the information. So we kept going over all this stuff as much as we could go do within the, the policies and, and, and the guidelines the NCAA gave us. But I'm seeing some real fruit come out of it. I'm telling you what, I'm pretty excited about this group. I mean, they, they are fired up and they're moving and they're flying around like, like some veterans, you know, and, and this is new stuff. So what we're doing right now, I mean, be, watch out now, watch out. Okay. Come on. These kids are, they're, they're ready to roll. You know, everybody, you got all the war dogs on the leash right now. We're about to let in. It's time to go. We're going to run. Well, you mentioned Saturdays being the sweet spot for the media. Hearing a coach talk about his players like that is the sweet spot. So if I can ask you to expand a little further on you know, what you're looking to implement here defensively and which players individually, if you don't mind pointing out a couple uh, or a few, uh, have, have sort of jumped out at you here so far as you approach training camp. Yeah, we're, 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 what we've always done, and I think Coach Graham, this is where I, you know, I've constantly learned a lot from the guy. Obviously, he's, he's, he's an amazing veteran of the game. Um, and, and, and I liken to him, it's just, you know, one day, I think 
you look back, he's the kind of guy that, you know, the game will look back to him and he made an impact. And so there's a lot of richness I'm learning from and staff learning from, but you always want to adapt everything to your players. You know, you're going to adapt. So we're, as we look at all we have, one of the things I'd say we have, which is a staple of Hawaii, and, and it's always been about the great defenses. I mean, you think about it. The, the Al Nongas, the, uh, the, the, the David Maeva, you think about, you know, uh, just all those great players and defensively, you know, and I'm dating myself right now, um, is that it, we know how to attack here. We know how to attack. We know how to hit you. And, and we know how to run. And this is why I think that war dog uh, defense, that, that the definition of it is a pure, it fits the essence of who we are as, as, a, as a people and a program. Um, so we can find those guys. So hey, there's going to be a lot of attacking happening, Jordan. I mean, just you understand, Jordan, you don't want to be in the pocket against us, you know. So you want to, you know, that's because this we're going to make you very nervous. And so that's the big thing there. Now, Darius Moussao is out. Uh, I think Darius is a guy right now who's just, you know, it's an attention to detail and an intensity about when it's time to go. Hey, he puts away the jokes and let's go. Let's go to work. I mean, everything, his way he stretches, the way his intensity of it, he, he is he is quick as a cat now. But his spirit about his, uh, how his work ethic is, is, is just amazing. Um, you know, Cortez Davis is a guy, you know, who, I mean, that kid, he can cover. He can cover and he can run. He's pre-impressed me all spring long. I and mean, we did have a chance to work out with him. Uh, and and Cort Cortez is, uh, guy, he, you know, he, that, that I guess you could call Cortez Island. You know, I think he can really cover. Um, you know, Gene, Eugene Ford is a real leader, and you can tell right there, he is a, there, there's a heartbeat he has for the defense that uh, people really pick up on. And, I mean, there's a leadership about him. There's a, there's, a, there's a humbleness and a genuineness to that. I know people are just like, man, we trust that guy. We trust that guy. And so, um, you know, across the board, we have other guys that are just like, hey, man, you're just we a bunch that just want to run, want to hit, want to go. So this is going to be a real competitive camp. Um, and once again, it's also as we get to see the guys in pads for the first time, um, it's also going to be challenging us to, hey, let's find out how do we make the shortest lines? How do we uh, how do we get creative with these pieces, creating roles? So there's a lot of work to be accomplished, but right now what I'm really impressed with is the spirit of who this team is. What I find fascinating, especially I think on the defensive side, because it's just a different kind of subculture within the football team, right? Like you yeah. talk about that attack mode, that attack mentality, but you describe- That war dog mentality, you know, you gotta get used to that, come on <laughs> All now. right, all right, I didn't wanna plagiarize here. But, uh, but yeah, you know, you mentioned several guys and you, you describe different characteristics that they each excel in. Um, and I'm just wondering you as, as a defensive minded coach, uh, if you were to place one characteristic within uh, what you would say would be the perfect starting point for a defensive guy, for a war dog mentality, what is that? It's, it's passion. It's passion to play the game. Because I'm telling you, when you're gonna be a great defense, a defensive unit, they, those are the kind of the great ones. They look themselves in the eye. They know, hey, you can count on me. I love this game. And there's just a passion about it. But you know what? No doubt, no matter where we go, hey, you can count on me. It's, it's like that war dog right there. The hunt is on. And this, it don't, it, you know, you talk about war dogs, and we talk, I've talked about it a few times. You got to know what a war dog is, right? 
And then there's a show dog and a war dog. You got your show dogs. Hey, they went best in the show. They prance around a little bit and they all look good. And they're pretty. I mean, they're good looking dogs. You probably want one of those. But this is war dogs. We don't want to show dogs. A war dog is, is a kind when you're going to go on the pig hunt and you just say, you know what? It's time to go. And they just say, let's go. They don't need a cappuccino or two. They just say, go. The whistle blows. If the dog ain't ready to run, you're keeping that one at home. All right? You're giving it away as a pet. So that's what it is, their passion of who these guys are. And that's what I'm impressed with them. These guys love the game, man, and, they're, and they want to get out. They're biting at the bit to put pads on and do this because it's, 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 it's a gift. To be able to play college football, mo, you know, a lot of people don't ever get that chance, and most don't have what it takes to do it. There's something inside of you, and you, those guys who have played it, the guys I've played with, you do anything to play one more, one more time out of the tunnel in Aloha Stadium, one more just to, just to feel it, and you know there's just it's in you. And it's it, it, when it's that deep in your DNA, you know you you're a war dog. All right, you're not here for the show. Yeah, and, and coach, I, I'd, I'd imagine that war dog mentality—that's not something you can manufacture. It's surely nothing you can fake. Uh, when you took this job and, and you made the move uh, over from Azusa Pacific, you put on the film. You look at some of the personnel from last year and guys you, you bring coming in. Was that something that you thought was inherent in the guys that you were you were taking over? Absolutely. It's what we've always been here in Hawaii. It's what we've always been. Now, I love our offenses, that well, how we score points, you know, from June to Rolo and all those men. Believe me, I'm fired up. I'm the guy wearing the pom-poms for these guys. You know, I was down there at San Diego State when they beat them at SCN State. I'm like, yeah, it's my guys. That's it. You know, it's who we are. But I'm telling you what, we play defense here, right? It's one of the things that we've always been able to do, and this island produces that kind of toughness that type of character, that type of, hey, I'm going to get after you. And that's the type of guys we recruit here. I mean, it's a special brand of person that comes here uh, because you, you're looking for that different path when you come here. You're looking for that adventure. You're not looking for the norm. This, this is special. We are, we are such a unique opportunity and such a rare opportunity. Like I said, it, it, to, to be able to play for the University of Hawaii, to be able to live here, to be able to, to just be a part of this special community, um, your life will never be the same. And that's why I'm like, hey, I'm all in, man. Let's get this after and I'm so proud to be back here. It, I, I was kind of curious to ask you about that. Um, you were at Azusa for, for a long time. You, you had a very successful, as successful a run as they've ever had, uh, transitioning from NAIA to, to the NCAA in Division II. What was it about this opportunity that made this the right time to, to make the move on? From AP, Azusa is a beautiful place. I went to school down the road in Eagle Rock. You're a Southern California guy. Uh, I know you've got roots here at the University of Hawaii, but what was it about this opportunity uh, that made sense for you? It's it's Hawaii. It's the University of Hawaii. It called and said, let's go. All right, mama called, (laughs) come home. (laughs) That's it. And and, I mean, this is, I I can't tell you how the the deep passion I have in my veins for this program. you know, I, I mentioned it a few times, but I said, here, here I am. I'm somebody who, my dad was a, an officer in the Marine Corps, all right? He was a high school dropout, joined the Marine Corps at 17, all right? Went off to Vietnam, all right? And one of the things in Vietnam, there's this, there this uh, lieutenant who talked to him. He's, my dad was on guard duty, and the lieutenant's coming out to the field, and he tells him, hey, do you know why we do this, this great sacrifice? is so that your next generation 
can have it better. And then they can help that next generation after that. And, you know, I instilled in me the whole time. I'm the first to graduate college in my entire bloodline. You know who gave me an opportunity to do that? The University of Hawaii. They're the ones who believe in me. So this is with this place right now. I mean, and after when I came here and I graduated from here, it's just like, man, I lived in Kaneohe as a kid. My dad was stationed there. And, you know, I, I, something got in me there earlier as a kid, too. I remember just running around always on the beaches and stuff. But um, this place, it, it, it blesses people. You know, and I'm a man of faith, and I know that, man, you know, when I'm around people here, I, I got blessed by them. And I learned a better way of living. And that's why when it calls time to go, I always try to just live out that same spirit wherever I was and taught my players that as usually the same way. But this place, this place I owe a lot to it. Um, uh, you know, I'm, I know some guys would say, hi, oh, you see on your lum, all you got to say that stuff. No, I believe it. It's deep in my core. You know, and since the time of having me graduated college, guess what? You know, my kids, they know a completely different life. I mean, I, that is a game changer because my, my kids have a completely different life. They grew up, you know, and they, they get like 4.0s and stuff. I'm like, man, I must just marry them because that's not coming from me. So, but it's just, the, you see these kind of things. And so it's just generational changes. So I'm here to help out the, the warriors, do everything I can to, to keep producing those winners in life, those warriors for life. Yeah, because, you know, yours is a story that I find so fascinating among this coaching staff because you are an example of a guy who, uh, by every account, uh, really represented Hawaii and really bought into not just the culture within the football program, but also just the culture of this place. And then here you are, fast forward all these years later, and you are the associate head coach and defensive coordinator. I mean, that's got to, upon reflection occasionally, just give you chills. Chills, absolute chills. Hey, I will, I'll walk up sometimes here and I'm holding the keys to the door. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> I got the keys to this place to come in. So it's a, it, you know, it's a, Jordan, you know, it's a, it's a dream come true. And, and I know we got a lot of work to do. And, I, and part of it is it's the great adventure. And I'm, I want to do all I can to serve. And I, I got to get better. And I got to keep growing. I got to have that learner's mindset. And by the end of the day, I'm going to love these, love these players. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to give all I got. I'm going to keep learning. Um, you fall down, you get back up. And but I'm surrounded by a bunch of, of assistant coaches and a head coach that these are, these are great professionals. And I'm learning a lot from them. And um, there's a pace set here in the office about, hey, you bring your best every day. And that's, 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 that's been encouraging. It's been something that's been a good challenge for me. So, yeah, you know, there is no doubt. Um, my wife knows this, I, is that we're living the dream right now. And this is not, you know, I don't think this is any kind of luck. I think this is a, a path and, a, and, a, and an opportunity that just, it's, a, it's living out of destiny. And so um, I don't take it for granted and want to give any I got to the opportunity. When you look back on those times, uh, you know, you played at one of the more fruitful stages of this program's history, uh, including that 92 team that won its first WAC championship that uh, went on to play in and win the Holiday Bowl. And that defense, I mean, I just remember some of the names on that defense. On the defensive line, you had Ma'atano Vasa, Junior Tongawai, Taase Falmui. Uh, you had yourself at the linebacker uh, core, Junior Fa'avai, Brian Addison. I mean, the list goes on and on. How good was that team? I don't want to play them. <laughs> they were good. 
Okay, I'm telling you what. Hey, I don't want to have the triple option right now. There, that was good. <laughs> Michael Carter. No way. Derek Branch at receiver. You know, uh, I mean Travis Sims. I, mean, I don't. I don't. I don't know runs, but Travis Sims. I mean, as ugly as a runner he was, that dude could cover some ground. So I mean, uh, Doug Violetti, offensive line there. I mean, uh, Lenny Amosa. I mean, those dudes were. They were tough. They were. They will knock you out. I remember the Holly Bowl. I remember they uh, Illinois scored a touchdown, and they're on the other side taunting us, doing a hula or something like that. And I said, "Oh yeah, oh yeah, that's that's right. It's on. It's on." <laughs> and, and look what happened. You know what I mean? We whooped them. <laughs> we flat yeah. out whooped them. And yeah. you know what? We they felt us, and that's what I'm telling you. What that's the heart. This is that we will. If you're gonna play us, you're gonna feel us. It's going to be Thursday before you get, you're going to finally feel better after playing us because that's how we are here. Uh, I mean, the high school coaches here, the high school players, they do an amazing job of just teaching that, that true essence of football, a tough, hard-nosed brand of football, that you just you play fast, you hit hard, uh, you play the game with love and passion, and at the end of the day, you shake hands and you're, just, you're grateful to each other for a chance to compete. And that's what this place is special. That team also happened to have a guy who might end up in the College Football Hall of Fame, uh, kicker Jason Elam. <laughs> oh, gosh. Hey, Mr. Automatic. You know? Hey, hey, a little fun fact is that uh, Jason, you know, and I, I love the guy, but he, he, would, he would do his kicking, and then he'd go read the paper. And we'd and, and we, we all be sweating, and we see a guy sitting there by the table read the paper. <laughs> but you know what? Nobody messes with Jason. You just keep kicking those field goals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> automatic. If you're that good, right? No one said a thing. Just keep going. Because there wasn't the traditional spring session, because these guys are sort of coming off of a, of a very unique uh, off season. Do you slow roll uh, the 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 way you go about training camp? What's the objective here? Is is it a little bit more of a steady build as opposed to what it would traditionally be? Yeah, you would think it'd be a slow roll, wouldn't you? Um, but here's the part that I and I want to say you're, you're, it's bearing fruit right now. The work and the intentionality of our the coaching staff um, is on uh, th- those Zoom meetings paid off. There we're at, we're at a place when we ask guys about certain X's and O's and certain even I mean it, it's something where you're like wow they they really did get this you know and and they're picking it up so. But it, it, I think a better way to do it is you got to keep checking its temperature every day. And I know that's kind of a big thing today the world we're talking about. <laughs> but you got to keep checking the temperature every day. And, um, and, and you just got to you got to take a moment-by-moment evaluation. And I think this is where Coach Graham's really good at this is to say, hey, let's step back. We, we, you know, you got you have a plan, you, and, you, and you're going to work your plan. But you also got to be able to say, you know what, ah, it be, it be intentional and, and observing of those moments where we got a little bit of a head. Or hey, we can we can pick up the pace. We can pick up the pace and get after it. So um, we have our plan for camp, and we're gonna go about it one day at a time. But you gotta again just kind of take it in and just analyze. At the end of the day, all right, how much further can we move forward, or can we hit the gas, or do we hit the brake? And that's what we're gonna do a good job of. Well, hearing you talk, hearing Coach Graham talk, I mean, it's as if you guys are kindred spirits. It, it really is. The way you describe the game, your enthusiasm for the game, you know, what you are asking of the players. Um, I'm just wondering, is there ever going to be a battle as to who gives the pep talk prior to the game? Because it feels like both of you guys, that's, that's one of your absolute strengths as communicators and coaches is, I mean, you're getting Jordan and I pumped up to run through a wall or something like that. I can't imagine what it's like in the locker room before kickoff. 
Yeah, I, you know what? I love a great pep talk. That's probably why I love being around Coach Graham because that dude fires me up. <laughs> he fires me up. I, I come to the meetings like, all right, what are we learning today? What are we learning today? So, you know, that's this. So he, he's outstanding with that. And that's, so I'm all over a great pep talk. But, you know, I'm passionate about the game. And I think that's where I, I enjoy being around uh, such a professional like him. And it's just this game is so special. And, you know, I love, uh, I can appreciate when a head coach, because that's kind of my, it's like you said, kinder spirits. It's been always been my philosophy as I, when I was a head coach is that you win with defense. You, yes, you want to score a lot of points, and that's awesome. But if you can't play defense, you can't win. And so, um, you know, that's where we believe here. We're going to play great defense. We're going to gear it can with the physical. Uh, at the end of the day, though, these kids, it's like, these young men, excuse me, um, you want them to be able to, play with that same passion and it, it, you know just run man and go attack be aggressive be a bunch of war dogs and watch the fun begin well we're looking forward to the rainbow warrior war dogs taking the field here uh, this season coach thank you so much uh, we truly do admire and appreciate your passion coach best of luck here this week and going forward hey thanks so much guys i appreciate you all right big thanks once again to coach santa cruz time for our post game Best and worst this is how we like to end each episode. So uh, let's start with the best. And you know what? I'm going to start with my best, if you don't mind, Jordan. Uh, I'm going to be going with uh, the fact that players are opting out of the upcoming NFL season out of health concerns. That's not the best part. Of course, I wouldn't think that that's the best part. Uh, but among those who have made such a decision, you have Jets offensive lineman, former UH warrior, Leo Kaloa Matangi. Uh, and what is the best aspect of this is the fact that he is doing so because he is obviously concerned about the coronavirus, so much so that over the course of this offseason, he has been very involved with helping to raise awareness to fight this thing. He helped create a website, HawaiiTowardsZero.org, which provides resources on combating the coronavirus. And so my best is just pointing out his efforts in taking this thing seriously. And even though it is costing him potentially a season of his NFL career, a guy who is not a superstar on his team by any stretch of the imagination, uh, but I think a guy who is uh, so concerned with the health uh, impact and ramifications of this thing uh, that he has dedicated so much of his time to it uh, and he is putting his money where his mouth is. And so uh, that's why I'm singling out Leo Koloa Matangi uh, for just being genuine and legit, man. That's my best. What's yours? No, it's good stuff. Uh, shouts to Leo, uh, not just, you know, sitting this out, but uh, using it pro productively. Uh, good stuff by him. Uh, my best, uh, a, a little more flippant, I guess you could say. Uh, Michelle Roberts, the Players Association Executive Director for the NBPA, the National Basketball Players Association, uh, suggested that next season could very well be held in a similar fashion. Uh, looking at a bubble type of restart, just based on the way things are progressing really everywhere around the country. And Kyle Kuzma retweeted a report stating just that. Uh, and Kuz added in the caption, quote, NBA has done an amazing job with safety and protocols. Make the bubble in Hawaii. Simple. Uh, so, he, you know, he's, he's, he's endorsing the Orlando bubble. But if they do indeed have to start next season someplace in a bubble situation, uh, he's suggesting Hawaii. There are some hurdles there. Don't get me wrong. We all know that. We're recording this on the day. We're like the most – Positive cases in Hawaii uh, reported today over 100. That's not good. Um, you know, and if they are playing in a bubble situation, could we go to, like, the Blaisdell and watch them play in the arena? Probably not. Uh, but it's just an endorsement for Hawaii, and this is also my obligatory shot at the NFL. 
Pro athletes love coming to Hawaii. Bring the Pro Bowl back. They don't like going to Orlando. Get out of here, Roger Goodell. All right, let's get to our worst. And uh, my worst is uh, kind of a heavy one. Uh, but you know this trend on Instagram of women challenging each other to post black and white selfies with the hashtag women supporting women. I got nothing against that general idea that's phenomenal. Uh, but I think most are posting these very cute sort of quasi model shoot photos without understanding the origin of the movement, which is actually a show of support and awareness for the epidemic of women being murdered or what is also known as femicide in Turkey. And the reason it's black and white is because that's usually how the photos of the victims are printed in the following days newspapers and in news broadcasts. Uh, it is a ghastly occurrence that has only worsened during the pandemic. So, uh, I mean, I don't mean to uh, levy such a, a heavy subject matter on the episode, but um, I'm just asking the ladies out there to keep doing what they're doing, you know, being beautiful, confident, supportive of one another. That is absolutely inspiring and it, it, it helps to lift all spirits, uh, but also to understand the much deeper meaning in the background of such a thing uh, because it is significant. Uh, and I think sometimes we take these social media movements uh, in such a flippant manner uh, without really knowing where it came from. In this particular case, it came from a pretty dark place. Uh, and so it's important for us to understand that. Yeah, I think, I think it's just a, a good reminder. You know, I think empowering women is something we can all get behind, but there, there is often a good lesson to be learned from, from just researching, right? Learning a little bit more about something that you see prevalent out there, whether it's on social media or in the news or whatnot. Being educated is not a bad thing. And uh, a lot of folks, we can do that ourselves. Please, Jordan, let your worst be a little more lighthearted than that. Oh, it's pretty lighthearted. So my, <laughs> mine's comes courtesy of Freezing Cold Takes on Twitter, uh, at Old Takes Exposed, one of my favorite follows on Twitter. They're great. Um, it, if you're unfamiliar, go give them a follow. Uh, this is an unpaid endorsement. <laughs> but uh, they, they, they find how they have all of these things cataloged is beyond me. But they find tweets, old tweets, that just have the worst takes and then decide to retweet them when, when they were kind of exposed, right? Uh, there was a lot of, uh, for example, Lamar Jackson tweets uh, that were just retweeted by old takes exposed throughout all of last season as he was rambling his way to an MVP trophy in the NFL. I mean, everything from, hey, he needs to play receiver till he'll never make it in the NFL, all those kinds. But uh, today's tweet, all it said was the time has come. And it was retweeting an old tweet that had quoted George R.R. R. Martin acclaimed author of A Song in Fire and Ice, the, the series of books that was adapted to Game of Thrones. Full disclosure, I haven't read the books, uh, but I'm a big Game of Thrones fan, as I know you are. I know a lot of folks who have read the books. It is an, uh, it is an incomplete series of books, and he's, he's supposedly working on The Winds of Winter, right? He's wrote Game of Thrones, Clash of Kings, uh, Feast for Crows, Dance with all of those. He hasn't published a new book in like nine years, and he had said over a year ago that, quote, if, winds of, if the winds of winter isn't out by July 29th, 2020, which is today, the day we're recording, fans can imprison him. So maybe he's putting it out before the end of the day. Maybe he is. But the clock is ticking, George, and people have receipts. Uh, and leave it to old takes exposed. Leave it to freezing cold takes to dig that one up today. Uh, so it, it looks like George might have some penance to pay here. Uh, if he's not releasing that book in like the next three and a half hours. <laughs> yeah, I think it's going to be one of the most highly anticipated in the series just because people were so unhappy with the way the TV show ended. Uh, and of course, the TV show ended up going past the timeline in the books. And so people are kind of hoping that 
George saves this thing and, and salvages what could have been a, a truly awesome and epic ending to the story. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you know, George has been living his best life, right? You know, I mean, he was a guy who is a self-proclaimed geekazoid and, you know, he turned into this mega rich superstar. And so, you know, he's been, he's been living that life and more power to him, but it's been a pandemic, George. What else have you been doing, man? If not just sitting at home <laughs> writing, like there's been nothing else to do. I just don't understand it. I think, you know, maybe don't put him in prison. Uh, you know, explicitly, maybe he was just joking about that. But I think maybe there's reason to go more Stephen King misery on him and have someone in the form of Kathy Bates, uh, you know, kidnap him and put him in their house and uh, force him to finish this thing, uh, or else, you know, bodily harm be inflicted on him. I'm just joking, half joking. Come on, George, finish the book. You went darker there. I was thinking he could be like Andy Dufresne and work in the library. Maybe it jogged the writer's block a little bit, you know, while he while he's in prison here. Uh, and he's also no spring chicken. I'm not, again, trying not to be too dark here, but I mean, come on, George. All right, uh, that's it for us. Thanks once again to Victor Santa Cruz for jumping on uh, with us for the interview in this episode. Uh, if you want to hit us up, you can do so on Twitter, at Canola Leahy, at Jordan Helley, or at TalkSports808. Jordan, been real. We'll talk again soon, man. Sounds good, man. Can't wait. <laughs>